Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? All right, absolutely. That's good good to hear. You know, our text this morning is Genesis chapter 3, and immediately many of you already can see the Genesis 3 and say immediately what it's generally about. What possibly came to mind is the fall. And in my opinion, it is one of the most crucial chapters in the Bible, especially for new believers to understand and be familiar with. See, what took place is the source of which all of our problems in this life came from. Sickness, disease, sorrow, hardship, and death. It hinges on this very event here, the fall of man where sin came into the world and all of these things follow as a consequence in a sin-cursed world. See, all of these are results of humanity's greatest issue. The greatest issue is not the world out there. The greatest issue is sin. See, we're going to examine what took place in this chapter, in this book. So I want to give you a little bit of background. So Moses is the one who penned this down. He penned down the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Pentateuch or the Torah, It was not actually the first book of the Bible that was written. Uh, That title belongs to the book of Job. But in recording of history, it is our first events of history. Our theme, Genesis, which means beginnings. See, this book gives us the answers to life's greatest questions. Where did we come from? Is there a creator? Is there a God? What is our purpose? See, the first two chapters, they deal with the creation of the world and how mankind came about. And God did this in six literal days and rested on the seventh. And I know there is a big trend out there to try to metaphor, do all these metaphors and allegories. But yes, it is a literal 24 periods, not metaphors for periods of time. The example of that is that Hebrew word yam, and it always follows with a phrase. In the evening and the morning were the first day, second day, third day. God didn't even need six days to do it. He gives us a principle and a pattern. But this was not millions or billions of years passing. And he did not need the six days to create the world. Neither did he rest because he was tired. He was laying out a pattern for humanity's labor. That six days of labor and the principle of rest. And this brings us into chapter 3. The fall. See, he created man... And then he created woman. And the earth was once in a state of perfection and beauty that would now eventually be lost. I'm going to read, to, read this morning from Genesis 3, 1 through 15. It says here in the beginning, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, God, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day of ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was the pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto him, Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is that this house done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every piece of the field. And upon thy belly thou shalt go, and the dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our text. We thank you for our time together and understanding that this isn't just some Sunday school story for kids, and this isn't just some mythical story, but this was a true event, and it's what our biggest issue hinges upon. So may we see it with clarity, Lord, and may we just also look for the hope um, that comes out of it as well, Lord. Thank you for being our God, and thank you for being our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, first, beginning in verse 1, we see that there is a doubting of God's word when we break all this down. See, the serpent was more subtle than any of the creatures or the beasts of the field, the animals. So this serpent is no doubt Satan himself. See, while the text in here doesn't just flat out say, well, this is the devil, this is Satan. But from the rest of scripture, we are told that this serpent is indeed Satan. And while not only the passage teaches us that it's his identity, this is the one that identifies them together as a saint. So Revelation 12, 9 says this, And the great dragon was cast out, and what's that next phrase? That old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which, is, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and angels were cast out with him. See, he did not start out as the serpent. He changed into this form. See, Satan today is still in the business of doing this and changing his form, and he is also using mankind and so-called preachers to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13, 15 says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, it, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, who ends, whose end shall be according to their works. See, Satan continues to deceive in different forms using preachers and teachers that teach on works for salvation or any other false gospel. See, Satan isn't just going to show up and just be like, hey, I'm the devil. He's going to be subtle. He's going to trick. He's going to deceive. He's going to make an appearance of righteousness. But in reality, it is deceit. It is evil. See, he approaches God, he approaches Eve with the intention to confuse her and cause this doubt. He says, Yea, hath God hath said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice the way he presented it. Well, have God not, shall not eat of every tree of the garden? See, well, Satan will start with trying to instill that doubt in you and get you to think, get you to question. If he can get you to doubt what God hath said, he's going to capitalize. If you're going to start doubting God's word, well, does it really say this? Well, does it really want to really mean this? I mean, it's 21st century now. Satan's going to take captive. We then see a distortion of God's word. It says, Eve, this is Eve's response. Well, we may, eat of the fruit of, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, 
lest ye die. See, did Satan know what God had already commanded? He definitely, he definitely knew what God had already said. And there's, there's three things in error in Eve's response. Let's look at this initial command made by God and make that comparison. See, in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, we first see this command being brought. Now notice, Eve had not yet been created out of Adam yet. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day thou, shalt, thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And here's the response again. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. See, she admits the idea of its being freely admitted, and she adds, Neither shall ye touch it. She even changed to shall surely die to lest ye die, lowering its severity. Now, we don't want to just sit there and be like, oh, Eve, how dumb of her. She just did It's all her fault. Who was the one that Eve most likely received her, her information from? Adam. She did not get her information directly from God here, but she got it from Adam most likely. See, the command from 2.16 was given to Adam. Eve was not made until after. What, what she would know regarding God's command would be from her husband. I can see the conversation with Adam and Eve going something like this. Hey, Eve, we can eat of the trees here except that one. Don't eat from that tree. Matter of fact, just don't even touch it. Don't even touch it or you're just going to die. See, when we have God's word distorted or we receive inaccurate information from what it truly teaches, it gives the devil perfect opportunity to capitalize. A lot of the time, simply getting misinformation is just relying on what someone has said and not actually looking it up for yourself. So we also see a flat-out denial of God's word from verse 4 through 5. See, Satan denies what God said would happen. Ye shall not surely die. And I didn't catch this until this week, but notice plural language, ye. See, one of the things that the King James has done for us is when you see the word ye versus you, ye means that he's addressing more than one. It's plural. Ye shall not surely die. And notice the progression. You start with doubting God's word to having a distortion of God's word into now flat out a denial of what God has said. See, Satan counters God's truth with his own lie, his own version. For God knows that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See, Satan wanted her to believe this, and he wants us to believe this exact same thing. God is holding out on you. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really want what's best for you. I can give you better. You can find better. See, when you start to question or forget the grace of God and the goodness of God, you're going to find it much easier to disobey his will. And this temptation was powerful because was it all just flat out a big lie? There was a little bit of truth mixed in with it. He's not going to come up and just say, like, yeah, this is not the truth. You better believe me. He's going to mix these truths with lies. They would not have an immediate physical death. Did they die right away? Not, not physically, but there was an immediate spiritual one that took place. They indeed, would they know good and evil? They would, but not in the way of a divine being as God. They would know the good and evil in a way of shame and in sorrow. And there's a great irony here with this, with this temptation and what he told them. 
this thing he told them that you will be like God was exactly his own fall. He wanted equality with God. Isaiah chapter 14 gives it a description. He addresses the king of Babylonian, but we see that this is no ordinary man. No, no ordinary man. This is Satan in the form of the king of Babylonian. How art thou fallen, fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, shining one, sun in the, of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend from the heights of the depths. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The very thing that was his fall was the thing he tempted Eve. We see deception and deliberation being done. See, Eve was deceived by Satan and she gives in to that temptation. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and also gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. See, she surrenders to the temptation exactly the way John describes temptation in three categories. First John 2.16 says this, says that for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We see here, she saw that the tree was what? Good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a desire to make one wise. The pride of life. You can actually take this principle and find it all throughout Scripture. She saw it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and her desire to be like as God, knowing good and evil. See, everywhere throughout Scripture where temptation is, and sin is involved, you're either going to see some of these or all of these in these categories. David with Bathsheba, for example, you see these. But even with Jesus in the wilderness, I want to look really quick at Jesus' account. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the, David taketh, then the devil taketh him into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, as in the highest point. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Now take note of this part right here. Who's still talking? For it is written, He shall give his angels a charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want to show you this example here. So Jesus responds, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And who exactly is Satan trying to test and tempt? His Lord thy God, Jesus himself. And he said unto him, All these things, and again, the devil taketh him to the exceeding high mountains, and sheweth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou shalt fall and if thou wilt fall and worship me. Then saith, then, then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. 
I want to take a quick example at these three temptations. First, he commands, like, break your fast. Take the, you're hungry, obviously. Take these stones and be made into bread. Could Jesus have done it? He absolutely could have. He's God. He can do anything. What would have been the problem? His fast would have been over. What he sought out to be what God led of the Spirit would have been over. Then he takes him to the highest point and says, well, cast yourself off. What does Satan do in response? Hey, after all, is God not going to protect you? Is he not going to send his angel after you to catch you? And he immediately replies, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then the, this one, the, to me, this is like the temptation out of complete desperation. He shows them all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give thee if thou shalt fall and worship me. How, is, how am I saying that this is a complete desperation? Is this even Satan's to give? Who do all the kingdoms of the world even belong to in the first place? You're tempting Jesus with something that already belongs to him. Yes, he's going to come back and establish his kingdom, but that was not Satan's to give. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered him. The Bible says in James to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First, submit yourselves to God. First, we see the stone be made bread. That's the lust of the flesh. All kings of the world, lust of the eyes, and to cast thyself down. That's the pride of life. We see these categories fine. But in contrast with Eve, Jesus was victorious. In overcoming these temptations, Jesus laid out the perfect example that we even can follow. He was equipped with Scripture. He had it memorized. All from the book of Deuteronomy he used. But it's not just merely that Jesus memorized and quoted Scripture. He was obedient to the Scriptures that he was quoting. See, knowing the Bible, memorizing passages is a great place and a great place we should start and a great goal to have. But what benefit do we have learning and memorizing God's Word if we're not going to take application to it? We need to be applying the Word of God to our lives and obey it. See, take note too as well. Remember, Jesus was quoting with Scripture, but who also was quoting Scripture? Satan was quoting Scripture and attempted to use it against Jesus. You think Satan knows the Bible pretty well? Oh, he for sure does. He's been doing it for a long time. I want to look at a great irony of him actually quoting this passage. Psalm chapter 91 was the verse that Satan was using. Look at that next verse after he quotes. Verse 13, that thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. That word adder means serpent. And the young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet. Why would Satan not want to continue on that passage? Because it's a promise of, being tra- of, tra- of him being trampled. See, Adam, another thing. So Eve gave in to this temptation. What about Adam? His was deliberate. He deliberately sinned. See, some of the illustrations in books I've seen is Eve eats the fruits and then just goes off and finds Adam and gives him the fruit too. But is that what we read in the text? Notice what it says. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and also gave unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And remember, Satan was using plural language. Adam overheard all of this. He was there. Adam was aware what was going on. Ye shall not die. Some men can be so quick to point out and rejoice. Ah, Eve was deceived, not Adam. Go men, boo women. But think about this for a second. Adam was not deceived, but still sinned against the Lord. 
Which one do you think is in a tougher position? His sin was deliberate. See, being deceived does not excuse your sin, but it is even more shame to know what's right, to know what to do better with deliberation. Eve was in no better position than Adam. We then see damnation and shame. Verses 7 through 9, we see that a cover-up that attempted. It says, Their eyes were open, they saw they were naked, that signified that there was shame in what they've done. See, sin promises that pleasure, but it is only temporary. It only produces shame and sorrow in the end run. See, their disobedience to God has brought damnation to this world they were in and to pass on to the generations to come. Adam is responsible in what God holds it for bringing and its consequence to the world. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one woman, by one man, entered into the, into sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. They then sowed lig, the fig leaves to cover themselves up. See, their t- own attempt was clever to cover it up, but not much wisdom involved. See, fig leaves are not the ideal covering, and they also heard this voice of God passing and walking through the garden as they hid themselves from the Lord's presence. God walking through the garden, who was that? That was Jesus. God and God being God made in flesh. And of course, they, he cries out, it's like, where are you, Adam? Of course, did God know where they were? God knew exactly where they were. He was, knew, he was wanting to express what they have done. Likewise, when we confess our sins to God, like in 1 John 1, 9, we're not informing God of what we've done. God already knows he wants us to come clean. He was not looking for them or trying to learn. It was for Adams to confess what he's done, to express his accountability. Now we see our, ver- our favorite parts, 10 through 13, and you can see this all throughout mankind even today. The blame game. Well, let's do the blame game. God asked Adam, well, has he eaten of the tree he was commanded not to eat? Well, God already knew, obviously knew. But instead of coming clean, yes, God, I cannot believe I've done this. I'm so sorry. Like, please forgive me. Well, let's see who he blames. As a kid, hearing the story, I always thought, well, Adam, just, he blamed his wife. He threw his wife under the bus. Let's look again in verse 12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me. She gave me the tree and I did eat. He, did and he does indeed blame Eve, but the first shift of fault is to God. Well, God, the woman thou gavest to be with me, God, well, if, if you didn't give me this woman, maybe things would have turned out a little differently. There might have been a little conversation beforehand when God asked, what can I get for a perfect woman? One that doesn't nag, doesn't do all these things to me, and always just serves me and does whatever I please. Well, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And then God asked, well, what can I get for a rib? And the rest was history. So, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All jokes aside. But how often do we try to put the fault on everyone but ourselves? See, our nature is bent to defend. We need to defend our own honor first. There's no way it could have been my fault. It has to be somebody else's. We see Saul do the same thing with his own son in the army of Israel. We see this all throughout Scripture, trying to immediately, there's no way I'm the problem, someone else is the problem. See, he does shift his blame to Eve. The woman gave me to eat. We all want to say it's everyone's fault but our own. Well, then now it's on Eve. So God goes to Eve. Now who does Eve blame? I blame the serpent. Well, he deceived me. He beguiled me and I ate. If he didn't deceive me, I would have never done this thing. 
Does being deceived neglect, neglect your responsibility? It absolutely does not. And we see, the con- we see deliverance and consequences brought in. See, there, there's a consequence to the serpent. Verse 1, the, verse 14, The serpent will be on his belly, and the dust shall he eat all the days of his life. This was true of the serpent even as an animal, but it is also true of Satan. See, to eat dust has this idea of total defeat. See, God's judgment on Satan is for him to always know defeat. See, he will always reach for victory, but he's always going to fall short for it. And Satan, he can remind you of your past and how there's no way God can use you, someone like you. But if Satan's going to remind you of your past, think about his future. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your future is much more better than Satan's. We see a deliverer to come. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. See, the second part of the curse is directed against Satan himself. God placed a natural animosity between Satan and mankind. Enmity has this idea of ill will, hatred, and mutual antagonism. And that seed of the woman, notice, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of Satan, and Satan shall bruise his heel. This verse here has been called the Proto-Evangelium, meaning the first case of the gospel to be seen in the Bible. And notice this, it says the seed of the woman. We are born... But we as mankind are born from our father's seed. We come from that. This seed here is none other talking about Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5 says this. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, meaning exactly at the right moment and perfect time, God sent forth his son made of what? made of woman, made under the law to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, something here that might give, your, give the ladies here a little bit of encouragement or chuckle. See, all of us here, all of, our, all of us here are, yes, born with a sin nature, and we inherit it from the seed of our father, our dad. Our fathers are the ones who pass that sin nature down to the next. However, who was Jesus' earthly father? Nobody. Jesus not having an earthly father equals not being born with a sin nature. So moms, if you ever wonder why your kids are just misbehaving all the time, they just won't listen, they're not being obedient, it's because they are sinners through their dad. It's not your fault. So feel free to look at your man and let him know it is all your fault. My, my wife has a thing when my kids are misbehaving, come get your kids. It's like, yes, they inherited the sin nature from me. Adam and Eve, as another consequence, were removed from the garden. But God could have left humanity and condemned them right there, and it would have been just to do so. Mankind is not worth it. But in his grace, he provided the only way of salvation through him giving the provision. The seed to come. That seed that would put the, that would the enmity, he ha, it has come. Came over 2,000 years ago. So when we read, we read the rest of Scripture that we cannot count on this world just becoming a better place. Because Satan is still at it with his lies, deception, and mankind continually rebelling, rebelling against their creator. And because of this one event right here with Adam, this world will only go downhill until Christ returns. 
A world that was once in perfection, all lost because of this one event. And its consequences in nature are passed down continually. And you may be thinking, so how is this any of my fault? I wasn't there that long, that many years ago. You would be right. It is not your fault. It is not your fault that you, were be, you would be born a sinner. But what is your fault is if you choose to do nothing about it. This morning, I, my car was actually not starting. Was it my fault that my car wasn't starting? I still had a responsibility to be here at church. I had to push my car out and give it a car jump. It's not my fault my car didn't start, but it would be my fault if I didn't make a way to get here to church. Likewise, it's not your fault that you were born a sinner and born with a sin nature, but if you don't recognize that Jesus is the only one that can save you and take care of it, then it is your fault. It is your fault if you choose to remain how you are, especially after hearing the word of truth, the gospel. See, you may not be able to fix this world, but you can fix your individual sin problem and know where you're going to spend eternity after you leave this life. See, Jesus took that place on, your, on the cross. He took your consequences and he bore it. He bore all of it. He was buried three, and three days later, three days and three nights, he rose from the grave, defeating and conquering death, conquering sin once and for all. If you don't do anything about that, it is your personal responsibility, then it is your fault. But will you trust him to save you? We lean upon and depend upon his provision that he's given. He gave his only begotten son, one who's never done wrong, one who's never, if there's anyone who didn't deserve it, it was Christ. Romans 5.18 says this, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, that very event in Genesis 3, this is where sin came, this is why we have the world we have today. And in contrast, even so, the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men unto justification of life. And notice that verse says, the free gift. There's nothing that you can do to ever earn your salvation. The only thing necessary with salvation that you contribute is the sin in the first place that made him come. Everyone has their own individual part. We put Christ on that cross. We can't use this excuse, well, I, I'm just born this way. You have your own choices. You have your own responsibility. You have your own accountability and your own personal choice. Not following your parents' salvation, not bringing yourself into church just to be like, hey, I'm a good, good old two-shoes. I go to church every Sunday. Sometimes I give. I go over Wednesday every now and then. You have to deal with your own sin, recognizing what Jesus did on the cross for you. And the only way you're going to spend eternity in heaven is when you come to know why Jesus came and that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior and that in your heart you look to him and you trust him. Trust, not just think it to be true. You, the, the thinking to be true comes first. I accept these things as a fact, but I need to personally rely and depend on him to save me from the sin and the hell that is to come. Relying on Jesus and to him alone. But what about all the things I do after I trust in Jesus? I need to get baptized first, then I'll go to heaven. I need to do all of, I need to give enough. I need to make sure I'm constantly giving tithing. I need to make sure I'm giving above that. Is that going to be enough to take me to heaven? See, the Bible says even our works are as filthy rags, even going to be enough and settle the debt. 
the only debt that can settle, the only thing that can settle the debt is for the precious spotless blood to be spilled. And it was spilled on our behalf. The only thing that's going to keep you between God and you is going to be yourself refusing to accept that free gift. You can only receive it by trusting in what Lord has done for you. Then you will have everlasting life, the Bible promises. A heaven to come, justification now, righteousness now, declaring you righteous. That is the true gospel, how that Christ came, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day for our sin. Very, this event we read is why he came in the first place. He came for you, and he came because of you. What will you do with this information? If you've never put your trust in Christ, never had that time and place, the moment you knew, this is when I know I'm going to heaven because I put my trust in the Lord to save me. I trusted him as Savior. I encourage you, and I want you to, t- I want you to talk to us about that. Even if you're unsure, we can help you. We can show you in these clouds in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what we have, Lord, in our text. And this event, Lord, that's not just a simple story to tell among people, Lord, but this, there, this was a true thing that happened, a true thing that brought damnation to mankind. But, Lord, in contrast to that, you were still gracious and you were still merciful, Lord, and you provided the only means and only hopes of how we can escape the wrath to come. And that is through giving your only begotten Son to take our place in a place that should have been ours. Lord, we ask all these things in his precious name, Lord, knowing that he is the only one that can give, he's the only one that can provide. Lord, we love you and thank you for our time that we get to have together and thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Good job. Amen. I was talking about Justin, not Adam. Did she ever tell you it was your fault? Every day. God doesn't, he doesn't roll up his cord. He steps in it. He cuts his finger off with a skill saw. But it wasn't his fault. It was the company that made the saw. I know that there are good, honest lawyers out there. I've met a couple. But I want you to realize... And you, you know whose fault it is if we don't take care of business and we hurt ourselves. But I want you to realize something. When the Bible says that every one of us is going to give account of himself to God, the lost people are going to do that at the white throne judgment. Saved people are going to give an account of themselves to God a thousand years earlier. But it's not going to be facing damnation. It's going to be for reward or loss of thereof. But I just want to remind both of us that there won't be any lawyers to try to get you out of what you are accountable for. No, there's. I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I don't know how many times. I've been doing it for about 40 years now. And I have, the only lawyers I read about in the Bible were 
the Pharisees. And I don't see many of them making it to that, to that judgment, the first one. You're going to stand alone before the Lord and give account of yourself before God. I got a text from a good friend of mine that'll be with us in about a week, actually, a missionary friend. And he's dealing with a man who is refusing to acknowledge that, that God re- it really exists. He's convinced himself that, that my friend has given his life, spending his entire life serving a myth from 2,000 years ago. It's not a myth. It's as real as you are. Jesus is everything the Bible says he is. He is the one who said, let there be light. Before he made the sun and the world lit up. He is the same one that declared me righteous when I put my faith in the blood of Christ as the preacher showed me in the Bible what Jesus did for me why he did it. And he'll do the same thing for you. I know for, for a pretty well established fact that most everybody here today has trusted Jesus to save them from their sins. I was there at the table when a bunch of you did it. I know. I don't know your heart, but Jesus does, and you do. But if you're here today, and, and I know there's a couple, at least, and you've just been listening to this over and over and over again, because we preach it every Sunday. We preach a lot of other things, but we're always going to tell you about Jesus. And we're always going to tell you about the blood and why he shed it and how it will set you free from the penalty. That's always going to, get, that's always going to be included. And can you even imagine what it's going to be like to stand before the one who hung on the cross for you and loved you enough to do it if you were the only one, he would have still done it. And you're going to stand before him to give account. How are you going to deal with that? Because it's coming. It's coming. And there's no way around it except to put your trust in him now while you can, while you can. I don't know what else to say. I stand ready to help you. We have something called basic Bible truths. It's, it's, it's a way to know for sure. And we're willing to take the time to make sure you understand and you get it right. I don't know what else to say.
except we love you and we'll be there for you no matter what. We're going to sing a verse of a song. You're welcome to come forward and talk to the Lord about whatever you need to. On the way out, you can tell me, Pastor, I'd like to take those classes, get to know a little bit more, and we'll set that up for you. Whatever we can do, we'll do it for you.